Take your Bibles and open them up to our passage in Luke chapter 10, a very familiar story about the Good Samaritan. But we want to dig into it today. So if you've got a Bible, it's, I think it's really helpful if you can look, read along with us in Luke 10. If you don't, there's a cha- there's Bible in the chairs, or feel free to use the uh, phones or whatever device you've got. Luke 10, we're going to start looking at verse 25. Luke 10, 25 to 37. looking at these stories that Jesus is t- teaching us to think about what, do, what implications do they have for us as we live in the kind of community that Jesus desires, this kind of patient community that Jesus is developing, and how would slowing down help us to achieve that kind of community? Listen for that as we hear this familiar story from Luke 10, starting with verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan... As he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three... Do you think was neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, Go and do likewise. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. I came across an interesting court case this week that came about in 1958, and the case was called Bunger versus Bunger. And it was a complicated divorce case that actually made it all the way to the Supreme Court. And in a nutshell, the case was this. Apparently, Mr. and Mrs. Bunger were married for one month. And then Mrs. Bunger decided she was going to leave. And for the next five years, they saw each other only twice. Finally, Mr. Bunger had had enough of this and decided he was going to file for divorce. And when he did, Mrs. Bunger challenged it and said, I still love him. I'm just waiting for him to love me back. So the course had to take up this challenge of trying to write a definition of love. And I have their definition here on the screen for you. The definition, 1958, from the Supreme Court. Love is an emotion evidenced by words and acts. Sometimes acts are more important than words, and, but in order to establish the presence of or absence of love, a factual statement of some type is necessary. 
The basic acts establishing love are kindness, consideration, understanding, patience, sacrifice, or sufferance, if necessary, with certain words, physical acts, and demonstrations which constitute evidence of affection between the persons involved. You'd like to see that on a Hallmark card, wouldn't you? <laughs> this is what happens if we leave the writing of definitions to lawyers and judges. I think they could have stopped after the first sentence. The first sentence was, love is an emotion evidenced by words and acts. That sounds kind of biblical, doesn't it? Love requires us to say it, and it requires us to actually do something about it. They actually think they got pretty close in their definition here. They did a better job than a recent case I was reading about in which a 13-year-old was trying to take her mother to court, and the reason in the document about why she was doing this was... um, because my mother doesn't hug me enough. That was the reason. And so they investigated this, and they discovered that the actual reason the girl was upset with her mother was because she hadn't bought her new jazz pants for dance class. So she went to school complaining about this mother being abusive and unloving and stuff. You'd think with this new information that would have ended it, but unfortunately, a couple people in the community took up their cause and decided that we should write a law, and the the law that they wanted to put into case was um, to make failure to love your child a criminal offense. That was the law they were trying to... Now, can you imagine writing that law? Failure to love your child a criminal offense. Now, some kids out there are probably thinking, yeah, maybe that would be a good law to have, but I don't think we want to leave the writing of laws about love to judges and lawyers. Do you? Well, actually, lawyers for generations have been trying to figure out this very question. This is the question that comes to Jesus in Luke 10. A lawyer is trying to figure out what love is. So you should have figured from the beginning this was going to be a a difficult thing for them to accomplish. Remember how the story started. On one occasion, an expert in the law, and what some of the Bible translations say, a lawyer, this is actually a specialized kind of person who studies the law of Moses. They're not a lawyer like we think of in civil court, but they're kind of a religious lawyer. They're looking at the law of Moses um, and trying to figure out how to live it out, and they would have been approached if there was ever questions about how this was being applied. So this expert in the law stood up, and he was going to try to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, I think recognizing the man's interest, asks him, what does the law say about that? How do you read it? And the lawyer answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And if he would have quit there, he would have been good. This is often the case with lawyers. If they would just quit early, they'd probably be in better shape. I apologize if there's any lawyers here today. Lawyers get a bad rap today. Jesus says to him, you've answered correctly. Now just go do it. So he said the right words. Now just go live it out, right? And he will be a loving person. But the lawyer, we're told, wants to justify himself. So you're getting a little picture into the guy's mindset or his motivation. He's trying to trick. Now, there's one other little thing you might want to know about the law in this case. At this point in history, these experts in the law had taken the law of Moses and they had distilled it down to 613 specific laws. They said, we're going to take all that God has said in these chapters that Moses gave us and we're going to give very specific, this is also a lawyer thing, we want to give very specific actions tied to each particular passage. So they had these 613 laws, each one was tied back to something Moses had said and they thought that these laws would 
show you how to love God and how to love your neighbor. And these laws were kind of interesting. They included things. I just looked them up, and I'll share a couple of them that I, I thought were interesting. Don't shave your head when you're in grief. That was one of the laws. So apparently it's unloving to shave your head. In grief, I'm, some of you shave your heads. That's okay. Just don't do it when you're sad, I guess. Don't go outside the city on the Sabbath. This was about work and about how far you could walk. They actually legislated these things about if you wanted to keep the Sabbath holy, you could only walk so many steps, and then you broke the Sabbath. This, and this was unloving. They had rules, dozens and dozens of rules about what you could eat or not eat and keep all these laws of Moses. One of the most interesting and specific eating laws I noted was law number 185, which says, don't eat non-kosher maggots. Just in case you'd like to keep the law of Moses, you can take that. I guess you can eat kosher maggots, but just don't eat non-kosher ones. This is what experts like to do, right? They like to spell out the details. They like to know exactly what to do because this increases efficiency and predictability and control. We can get our arms around it if you tell me which behavior exactly is loving and which behavior exactly is not loving. Then I know what I have to do. They often did this by focusing on negatives. So they talked about the prohibitions rather than like the positive, like prescriptions, what you should do. And I think we often do this too. I can remember when dealing with my son, Travis, we were pretty big on the negative prohibitions for him. So we had rules like this. Don't hit your sister. That's easier than saying love your sister. He couldn't figure out how to love his sister, but we could monitor whether he would hit his sister or not hit his sister. Although he was clever, you all know that. So he could kick his sister. So now we don't hit your sister, don't kick your sister. Now I can pull my sister's hair. So you see how the negative prohibitions work. You have to identify each specific thing you don't want and you have to start to spell it out. This is how you end up with 613 laws about how to love God and love your neighbor. You just keep adding prohibitions to a list of things that you cannot do. So this is kind of the culture in which this lawyer was living. And when he comes to Jesus, he's going to try to like trap Jesus in this same kind of thinking. He wants to trick him into like verifying that he actually is, oh, you're the expert in the law. You got it figured out. That's what he wants to hear from Jesus. And so he pushes. He doesn't drop it when he gives the right answer at the beginning. He asks another question, and that question is, so who is my neighbor? The lawyer hopes that Jesus is going to step in this big mess and that he will either um, expose himself as being ignorant and unlearned and that he doesn't really get the law, or he'll confirm the lawyer and kind of this generation's kind of tradition of the way they've interpreted the law. But Jesus doesn't want any of this. So Jesus completely changes the conversation by saying, so a man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of all his clothes and they beat him and they left him in the ditch half dead. Now we have a new problem for this lawyer because in the 613 laws about how to love your neighbor, there's nothing about naked men in the ditch there's nothing about men who've been robbed and beaten and left. There are some laws about what you do if the guy actually is dead 
And all those laws are stay clear because if you touch a dead person, you're going to contaminate yourself. But there's nothing specifically in there to cover this particular situation. But now we all recognize that even though there's no specific law, that there's a right thing to do here, isn't there? We all know that the right thing to do is take care of the guy who's been beat up. Reach out to the guy who's laying in the ditch and lift him out of there and treat his wounds. We all know that's the response that's supposed to happen. That's why the story becomes a little bit, uh, kind of have a, a little unexpected twist in it. A priest who should have known better happens to be going down the same road and he sees the man and he passes by on the other side. So to a Levite, who also should have known better, he comes to the place and he saw him and he passed by on the other side. But then a Samaritan, these guys were kind of outcasts. They didn't really get the law of Moses. If they did, they didn't necessarily follow it. They were actually considered to be enemies of God's people. As he traveled, he came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity. He knew what the right thing to do was, right? He took pity on the man. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds and poured oil on them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and he took him to an inn and he took care of him. That's the right thing to do. If we see a man in the ditch in need of help, we care for him. That seems clear enough. God not only expects us to care for our neighbor, but there's another underlying current here in which it seems to be saying God expects us to recognize anybody in need as our neighbor. That there should be no qualifications about who gets help and who doesn't get help. Even the lawyer in the end of the story, he gets it. He understands the force of the story which says the guy who showed mercy was the guy who was the neighbor. And Jesus invites us all then to go do likewise. He invites us to wonder about who do we see as our neighbor? Who do we overlook? How, it maybe invites a little evaluation about how well are we doing with this? Do we rescue those who are in need around us? Jesus is calling us to be better neighbors. This seems to be one of the clear messages of the parable of the Good Samaritan. To be better lovers in word and deed when we see somebody in need. Yet I, had a, I have a nagging sense when I read this passage that that's not the whole point. It seems like clearly that's part of the point. But if that's all, then it seems like something's wrong because even with the best of intentions, we often are lousy neighbors, aren't we? We regularly pass by people who are in need and do nothing to take care of them. If the whole point of the story in Jesus telling it is to motivate us to all go out there and be good Samaritans, to be the best neighbors we can, to always care for everybody who is in need, it's not working because that's not how I function and I'm guessing that's not how most of us function. We don't rescue every single person we come across. So I'm starting to wonder if there's something else that Jesus is trying to get to in this story. 
We love stories about Good Samaritans. At least I do. I love stories about Good Samaritans. And I came across this story a few years ago. There was a construction worker in New York City named Wesley Autry, and he was waiting for a subway. He was standing on the platform with his two young children. I think they were aged four and six. So here's a man with two young children standing on a crowded New York City subway platform, and a guy right next to him has a seizure and falls down onto the tracks. And this man, with no thought for himself, immediately jumps down to grab the man and pull him off. As soon as he gets down on the tracks, he looks up and realizes the train is coming too fast. He doesn't have time to get the man off. And so he takes a man and he rolls him over it between the tracks and he lays down on top of him while the train rolls right over the top of him. Missing him by inches. The, the clearance was so um, close that he had grease marks on his cap from the train. And after the train pulled to a stop, he, he yelled up from underneath the train, Hey, people up there on the platform... Tell these two little girls their daddy's okay. And he became an instant, you know, media hero, right? Because we love these stories. And there was a bunch of news coverage about him and media. They called him the Subway Superman was one nickname that he got. And one headline in the paper the next day said, Good Samaritan saves man on subway tracks. That's a great story, isn't it? Why is this news Because it doesn't happen very often. His actions become news, big news, because they're so unusual. If Jesus' point is that he just wants us to imitate the love and compassion of the Good Samaritan, well, then that's not working very well, because the sad fact is we don't. This is why Wesley Autry becomes a hero, why his actions seem so incredible. Because there were hundreds of people standing on the subway platform and only one did anything about it. So what would you have done if you were standing on that platform? Maybe you would have been the one who jumped in. It's more likely we would have been the one standing around watching. Why do some people act and others don't? There's a, there's a famous um, experiment conducted with seminary students, that's students who are training to be pastors. And this was in 1973 at Princeton Seminary. And what the researchers did was they, they took a group of students and they put them in a room and they said, we'd like you to study this passage in Luke 10 about the Good Samaritan and we'd like you to write a little sermonette, a little message that you're going to give about this thing. Uh, the only problem is we don't have a lot of time, so here, here's a few minutes for you to like, study the passage and write out your thoughts. And then we're going to record these talks, but we have to send you to another building on the other side of campus. And we're running kind of late, so we want you to hurry up and do this and get over there and do this. And then the researchers planted on campus, right where they would have to walk, a guy who was laying in the street moaning and coughing. And they had to walk right past this guy. So here's... People studying to be pastors, studying the Good Samaritan, getting ready to talk about what it means to be the Good Samaritan, walking past a guy in the ditch. What do you think they did? 90% of them passed by. One student even stepped over the guy to get to give his talk. Just knowing that we're supposed to love our neighbor just knowing that we're supposed to pull people up out of the ditch when they're in need isn't enough to get us to do it. 
when someone is in a ditch, we know they need help. We know they should be helped. I'm starting to wonder if Jesus is trying to get a, at a different point. And I, I'm going to get at it by asking this question. Have you ever been in a ditch? And if you were in a ditch, who helped you? So I think we have this habit when we read these stories in the Scripture, and that is we like to put ourselves into the story. And oftentimes, we like to be the hero of the story. So when we're reading these stories, we like to go, well, this is a story about the Good Samaritan, the guy who did the right thing. I am the Good Samaritan. We don't often think of ourselves as like the lawyer or the Levite or the priest. And I'm guessing we hardly ever think of ourselves as the guy who got robbed, do we? I read this story for years and years and years and never thought of myself as the guy who got robbed. I always thought, well, I'm the Good Samaritan, or that's what I'm supposed to be. I'm wondering if Jesus is asking a different question. The question is, are we in the ditch? And if we're in the ditch, then who rescues us? And this might be an uncomfortable question because we spend so much of our lives trying to not be in the ditch, trying to not be vulnerable, trying to not be weak, trying to not need anybody to help us. We don't want to be rescued people. We spend a good share of our life and our time and our energy trying to not be the guy in the ditch. And now I think Jesus is trying to get us to think about that by asking, there was a guy who got robbed and beaten and he got thrown in the ditch and left half dead. Could it be us? I think the parable raises these two questions. Who is my neighbor and who has been a neighbor to me when I am in the ditch? Ultimately, I think that the only way we can see ourselves as the good Samaritan the one called to help those who are in the ditch if we ourselves recognize that we were once there too. Remember how it happened that Jesus told this parable? The guy asked a really specific question. The question at the beginning was, how do I inherit eternal life? That's the question he's asking. And Jesus says, you're the lawyer, you answer. And so the guy does. He answers correctly from the law. Love I'm going to summarize what he says. Love God and love neighbor perfectly. That's what that law really means. Love God perfectly, love your neighbor perfectly. And God says that's a good answer. If you love God perfectly and you love your neighbor perfectly, you will inherit eternal life. One problem. We don't love God perfectly. And we don't love our neighbor. See, this lawyer's frame of mind was all messed up. He comes to this question thinking he can actually do something to earn eternal life. He actually thinks he can do what the law has asked him to do. That, I think, is why Luke says he came to justify himself. His whole worldview is, I do good things, and that justifies me. That makes me right with God. That earns me eternal life by the good things that I do. This is his whole frame of mind. And Jesus tells this story to get him to rethink all of that. And he brings us back to reality. If we let him, we can't love perfectly. We are the priest. We are the Levite. We are the lawyer. We are the man in the ditch. We are not the Good Samaritan. 
So who is? The good Samaritan in this story is Jesus. Jesus says, I came to rescue you from your ditch. Love is the summary of the law. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Love rescues us when we're ambushed along the highway of life. Love helps everyone, even the enemy. Jesus is love. The Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus in the... Jesus is the Good Samaritan, and he's the one who rescues us. And in response to that love, then we discover something else. Well, maybe it's possible for us to love somebody else, too. Maybe we can rescue somebody from the ditch. Now, there's another interesting study I'd I'd never heard about before, but this was also done at Princeton, and the guy's uh, name who did the study is a guy named Robert Wuthnow. And he was asking the question about why some people are compassionate and loving and generous with that and why some people are not. That's what he was trying to figure out. And he found out that if someone has been loved, then they have the ability to love others. And I don't know exactly how he set up this little experiment, but he, that's the conclusion of his research. He did have a story to tell about one of the best case examples of this, and it was a guy named Jack Casey. And when you look at Jack Casey, you look at this guy and you think, now there's a guy who doesn't really look like he's a good candidate to become a good Samaritan because he came from a really tough background. He had a really difficult home life. He was the child of an alcoholic father who was very abusive to him. He once said this about his father. He said that the only thing my father ever taught me was not to be like him. That's what he learned from growing up. But something happened to him when he was a kid that changed him. And it was um, one day he had to have surgery. And as he was getting ready to go into this surgery as a child, he was very frightened. And one of the nurses that was taking care of him noticed how scared this child was. So she came up beside him and she held his hand and she said, Don't worry. No matter what happens, I am not going to leave your side. And she walked with him into surgery. And when he woke up, that same nurse was still holding his hand. She was true to her word. He felt loved. So Jack Casey became a paramedic when he grew up. And one night, he got sent on a call uh, to take care of a traffic accident. And in this accident, a pickup truck had collided with another truck, and the pickup was upside down, and the man was trapped in the car. And Jack Casey went in to treat the guy, and as he was taking care of the guy, there was gasoline dripping down through the truck, dripping on both of them. And the guys who were trying to free him from the truck were using tools that could cause sparks and so there was this real fear that this gas could go off and the guy in the truck was terrified he was very frightened and Jack Casey could see that and so Jack Casey grabbed his hand while these guys were pulling him out of the truck and he said no matter what happens I'm not gonna leave you why did Jack Casey do that because he remembered that someone had loved him like that And so he responded. After the rescue, the driver was very thankful for Jack, but this is what the driver said. He said, you are an idiot. (laughs) 
He said that whole thing could have exploded and it would have burned us both up. And Jack said, I couldn't do anything else. Because he was wired, transformed by being loved. Have you ever been transformed by that kind of love? Has anyone ever pulled you out of a ditch when you were laying there half dead? I have been. And if you're a follower of Christ, you have been too. Because this is exactly what Jesus, the Good Samaritan, does. He says, I'm going to come and I'm going to offer my life in payment for your sins to rescue you up out of this ditch and give you life. Maybe you haven't had that experience. If you're here today and you're one of those individuals and you go, I don't know what it's like to be rescued like that. It could, you could be rescued today. You simply say, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. I know that I have not loved you perfectly. I know that I have not loved my neighbor perfectly. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I accept the sacrifice that Jesus has made on my behalf. You could accept that sacrifice today. You could ask Jesus to rescue you right now, and he would. Some of us have already experienced that, and so we celebrate in gratitude. We say, thank God that Jesus is the good Samaritan who rescued us. And then that starts to get us thinking about who do we know who's in a ditch who needs to be rescued also. And out of deep gratitude for what God has done for us, we do that. Um, I've been doing these sermon study groups to help prepare for these messages, and we've been reading these passages ahead of time and then discussing them. When we did this particular passage a couple of weeks ago, one of the, uh, I'm going to say, one of the senior members of the group, not that they've been in the group the longest, but they're one of the most senior members of the group, if you know what I'm talking about. Um, when we were talking about being a good Samaritan, her comment was, we couldn't help but do it. We couldn't help but care for them. We couldn't help but love them. That's how she talked about it. Why did she talk about it that way? Because she has been rescued. And so now she can't help but rescue other people. This is why Jesus says, go and do likewise. God, we come before you today and I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for this beautiful story that you've told us about the Good Samaritan. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who takes these words and applies them to our life. Help us to continue to grow as we follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. My name is Lois, and I am one of the elders. And I, when I'm asked to pray, Leah just sends me an email, and I challenge myself because it's kind of a scary thing, and I, I like to challenge myself and push myself. And I usually take some notes, and I pray that God will give me the words. And this morning, I feel like my heart is just really full, and so I'm throwing these out the window because they just don't, seem appropriate. And I think what I'm going to do, um, this is called the prayers of the people, and so I am going to turn it back to you, because if your heart is full like mine, I think I know some people who are in ditches, and I need to take some time for them this week. So as I pray, would you pray with me, and I'm going to stop periodically, and I want you to think of those people, and maybe it's you in the ditch, and I would challenge you to go and find someone who can help you out of that ditch. Don't stay there. Would you pray with me? 
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you loved us and that you don't want us to stay in those ditches. Lord, they might be deep ditches. They might just be little shallow ditches, but we're not on the road, Lord. And I just pray that you would help us as we go this week to take time for each other. Help us to take time to look for those people who are in the ditches. Sometimes they're right in front of us because we're in the ditch with them. Lord, I just pray that you would give us a moment to think of those people and bring to mind people that we could reach out to this week. Lord, I ask that you would help us to be good listeners this week, that we might have good eyes to see those people who need your love, who need your help, and maybe it is just listening to them, helping them to find their way out of the ditch. Lord, I ask that you would bring peace to those people, that you would take away pain, that you would help us to take away pain by listening I pray, Lord, for those people that are hurting, that you would give them health and strength and healing this week. Lord, give us that joy that we might share and we might help other people. Help us to stay on the road and to step off and to pull the other people up out of the ditch as we go out this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.